This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Right now, much of the world is hunkered down at home in self-isolation. When we're not at home, there's six feet between us and everyone else, and we're only going out to get the things we really need. These are all proven ways to help prevent the spread of the novel coronavirus, but an effective vaccine would make our fight against it much easier. Just 14 weeks ago, this canvas that we call COVID-19 was blank. And it's shocking how much we've filled in just in 14 weeks. We know the genetic structure of the virus. We've initiated trials with plasma-derived therapies, a host of antivirals, other drugs. Uh, Two phase one uh, vaccine trials have started. We know a lot about the pathophysiology, age structure, even the receptor that this virus uses. So uh, we've learned a lot. Having said that, There's a long way to go yet, particularly when we talk about a vaccine. That's Mayo Clinic vaccinologist Dr. Gregory Poland, and he's echoing what most experts are saying right now. Despite great progress, vaccine production is still in its earliest stages. Joining us now to talk about where we are in developing a COVID-19 vaccine is another expert, virologist Sarah Connolly, Associate Professor of Health Sciences at DePaul University. Professor Connolly, welcome back to Reset. Thank you. So let's start off talking about how vaccines actually work within our bodies to protect us. Explain that. To understand vaccines, we first need to talk about what happens during an infection. When you're naturally infected by a virus, your immune system responds, and in most cases, it clears the virus from your body. It's pretty amazing that our immune system can distinguish between what's you and what's foreign. Um, One of the ways your immune system clears the virus is by making antibodies. You're going to hear a lot about antibodies these days. Antibodies are proteins that bind specifically to the virus, and they neutralize the virus, and they tag it to be cleared from your body by the immune cells. So your body already has the ability to make billions of different antibodies that would be able to bind to nearly any virus that would infect you. It's pretty astounding. Most of these antibodies are never going to be needed, but when you get infected with a virus, the few cells that you have that can make antibodies that recognize that particular virus get activated. Those activated cells multiply and they make tons of antibody. And activating these particular cells takes days. So you have a race when you get infected between the virus spreading in your body and making these antibodies to combat the virus. After the antibodies have tagged the virus and you've cleared the infection, some of those activated cells, we call them memory cells, stick around. So uh, those memory cells uh, can respond immediately if the virus shows up again. And that's where immunity comes from. So typically, once you're infected with the virus, you can't be infected with that virus again because your immune system has learned to identify it, and it'll destroy that virus uh, if it shows up, up again before you even see any symptoms. So getting to vaccines, 
Vaccines are made up of either weakened virus or killed virus, or even just proteins from the virus or genetic information from the virus. You get exposed to the vaccine to trigger your immune system to make those antibodies and make those memory cells. But the vaccine itself won't make you sick. So the vaccine gives your immune system an advanced warning about the virus, and it exposes your immune system to safe versions of the virus so you can prepare a response. For the scientists who are working on a vaccine for the novel coronavirus, explain a little bit about what goes into building one. So vaccines can be made with weakened forms of the virus or killed virus or proteins or the genetic material from the virus. Um, as I was saying, typically a virus needs to be tested in animals before you test it in humans. Testing in humans is then needed to examine the safety and efficacy. Vaccine candidates often don't provide protection and they need to be redesigned after the animal trials or even after they've entered human trials and the process has to start over. How long do vaccines usually take to develop? Vaccines can take years, uh, sometimes decades. So when we talk about COVID-19, when we have scientists around the globe working to produce a vaccine for the virus, is it likely that we're on that same timeline or just the sheer number of people who are working on a vaccine, that that might speed things up a bit? With the stakes so high and so many groups working on vaccines, I'm hopeful that a vaccine will happen quickly, uh, but quickly still doesn't mean before next year. Vaccine trials are ramping up worldwide using inactivated whole virus or using genetic uh, material from the virus. We have a bit of a head start because we already knew something about related coronaviruses, but that helped labs design vaccines um, pretty quickly. There's a vaccine that, a recent report of a vaccine that was shown in primates to be protective. So they infected, I think it was eight animals, and then uh, challenged those animals, those primates with virus and showed that they were protected. Um, but because the virus hasn't been around that long, we aren't talking about uh, we haven't been able to test for long-term protection yet. These animals were immunized and then tested just three weeks later, but they were protected from the virus. There's another vaccine that I'm really interested to see how it develops that uses just the genetic information from the virus. It uses just the gene that codes for the spike protein of the virus. That's the protein that you see in pictures that sticks out on the surface of the virus. Mm -hmm. Trials of this vaccine in humans started in mid-March. And what's neat about this vaccine is that Instead of giving people proteins from the virus, it just gives them a gene from the virus. And then your cells take that gene and make the proteins for your immune system to recognize. So this type of vaccine might be made more quickly and more cheaply than other vaccines because you don't have to purify viral proteins. You don't have to make an inactivated or a weakened version of the virus. You just have to provide this genetic, uh, th this gene. We don't currently have any vaccines in humans that use this approach, but it will be interesting to see if this approach works for this uh, virus. Well, once a vaccine is available, it still has to be produced in mass quantities. How long does that process take? Yeah, so the, the type of vaccine is going to impact how long it will take to scale up production. Given the importance of this vaccine, I would hope we have production in place for promising vac vaccines when they make it through the human trials. There are several levels of human trials. I know there's at least one company that's planning to ramp, ramp up production of their vaccine even before they have the results from the trials. Are you at all concerned that the the urgency to produce a vaccine um, might cause some shortcuts to be taken? There, there's a process in place to try to protect people um, from, you know, negative side effects. Are you at all concerned about that aspect of this? You know, we have a lot of experience with testing vaccines in humans, and we have a system for FDA approval 
of vaccines. So assuming that that system is going to be followed, I don't have concerns. I think that we, we, so the first stage of a vaccine trial is to test it for safety in a small group of people. So this is like less than a hundred people. It takes several months to make sure the vaccine is not hurting anybody, but if, it, if it, the vaccine appears safe, it'll be tested in a larger number of people, like several hundred people for both safety and efficacy. Um, and then at this phase, uh, you'd be able to compare people who got the vaccine to people who didn't get the vaccine to see if the vaccine group is protected from infection. And then you'd also collect samples from these people to see if they're actually mounting an immune response, if they're making antibodies. And then if the vaccine appears effective in that, in that group of uh, several hundred people, then you move to the next phase where you start vaccinating tens of thousands of people, and you can actually track the rates of infection um, as well as safety. So a vaccine that passes this third phase can then finally be licensed. We have to test a vaccine in a large number of people because um, we don't vaccinate people and then purposely expose them to virus, right? We have to wait for random infections to occur. So we have to vaccinate enough people that we would expect the large number of those people would be naturally exposed to the virus. And like you were saying, vaccines go into healthy people. So the safety standards have to be as high as possible. Once a vaccine is finally produced, how important is it to our ability to fight COVID-19? I think absolutely. Um, it will be key in I mean, hopefully we will get a vaccine. Hopefully it will happen quickly and it will be key in um, combating this virus and, and allowing us to return to a normal lifestyle. Well, in the absence of a vaccine, uh, we've heard about, you know, doctors working to, to treat patients. Hydroxychloroquine is a malaria drug that President Trump backed uh, to be tried as a way to help fight coronavirus. Yesterday, it was announced that it had not been only ineffective, but there were more deaths on average in people who used it. What other drugs are scientists looking at to possibly test uh, to treat COVID-19? I'm going to give you a quick aside about, um, I've been really impressed and encouraged about how rapidly scientists are sharing their results. And lots of people are publishing their work online, like without waiting for it to be reviewed by other scientists. And this is great because it, it lets us build upon that work um, without having to wait for the review. But it's also um, dangerous to interpret results that haven't been peer reviewed. So these early studies, it's important not to like draw conclusions prematurely. Um, there is another drug that's, that I find interesting called remdesivir. It's an antiviral drug that interferes with the ability of the virus to copy its genes. Um, in a small test, so again, small early test, in primates, the drug showed reduced lung damage in the primates uh, when they were infected with the, with COVID, with the virus for COVID-19. There have been early studies in people that were not randomized studies, and they showed some promise, um, but now there are randomized, controlled, double-blind studies going on. So I'd like to describe what that means. A randomized study means that um, the patients are assigned to either get the drug or not get the drug randomly. They're not selected for getting the drug. And then double-blind means that the doctors don't know who's getting the drug and the patients don't know who's getting the drug. So a randomized, controlled uh, double-blind study sort of reduces the biases that can come into a study, even unintentionally. Uh, when you are selecting who gets your drug and who doesn't get your drug, a bias can come in that impacts the results about whether or not your drug looks like it's working. So one nice thing about remdesivir is that's an existing drug. And looking at existing drugs that have already passed safety trials saves some time for getting those drugs to market. 
Uh, but we also have labs that are looking to develop new drugs that target this virus specifically. Those are going to take a little more time. Uh, there's That's... another interesting approach, <laughs> which is transferring antibodies from recovered patients into sick patients. So this is also being studied in humans. And um, ultimately, we may even be able to identify particularly effective antibodies and then manufacture those antibodies as drugs. Well, Professor Connolly, let's talk about mutations. Viruses can change over time, uh, which can render a vaccine either ineffective or, or less effective. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? Yeah. So as viruses replicate, they make random mistakes when they copy their genes. These mistakes are called mutations. Labs are designing vaccines based on the current version of the virus. So if a mutation occurs that significantly changes the way the virus looks, especially that spike protein, that protein that's sticking out on the surface of the virus, the antibodies that get triggered in you by the vaccine may not be able to recognize this mutant form of the virus, or at least not recognize it as well. So in that case, we would need to remake the vaccine. So it's possible, if I'm hearing you correctly, that we could have a COVID-19 vaccine. Everything is fine for a certain amount of time, but the, the virus itself could mutate and we could have a, another issue on our hands? It's possible, but we don't have any evidence that that's what's going to happen. Um, the example here is influenza virus. So influenza mutates quickly enough that we need a new vaccine every year, uh, but we managed to make that new vaccine. I think we could do the same with this virus if we needed to. Fortunately, coronaviruses generally don't mutate as quickly as influenza. So even if this virus does mutate, I think we, if we find an effective vaccine, we could keep up with any changes. So what sort of progress in vaccine development do you hope to see in, in the coming weeks and months? I would definitely like to see more uh, promising animal studies and more uh, studies moving into humans. And then it would be great to see some of those studies moving into phase two, which is going from that small group of people where you're just looking for safety, moving into a somewhat larger group of people where you start to actually study efficacy, whether the vaccine's working. That's Sarah Connolly. She's an associate professor of health sciences at DePaul University. Professor Connolly, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. For the latest news and information around the COVID-19 pandemic, tune to 91.5 or go to WBEZ.org. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.